My name is Adam. So excited to be with you as we're getting into another message in our series called Can't Believe. And this series is all about answering some of the reasons why people feel like they can't believe in Jesus for eternal life. Now maybe you've been a believer for a long time now and you're sitting through this series and you're wondering what the application is for you or why you should even pay attention. Well, biblical belief is not just about having the right information about Jesus, but it's about taking that information and putting it into action. It's like the difference between believing that a parachute would keep you safe if you jumped out of an airplane and taking that step out of the airplane knowing that parachute will keep you safe. Biblical belief leads to action. So no matter where you are on your journey of faith, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, or even if you've been a believer for a long time, I think that there is something in this message for you. But have you ever worked really hard for something that doesn't pay off? I learned this lesson when I was about 17 years old. One of my friends hooked us up with this side job of painting the exterior of somebody's two-story house. And we were making 12 bucks an hour on this job. So I thought this was the deal of a lifetime. Like, it doesn't get much better than that. And now looking back, I think this homeowner got the deal of a lifetime. Some strong backs and weak minds. And we pulled up into this guy's driveway, and we were told that all the supplies that we would need for this job would be right there for us. And so as we looked around his house, we saw that there was a bin off to the side, and then there was a pile of some painting supplies. There was a can of turpentine, paint stripper, and a few really raggedy paintbrushes. So after taking a look at those really raggedy paintbrushes, we realized they're just not going to cut it. So we had to make a trip all the way to Tractor Supply to pick up some brand new paintbrushes, and we kept the receipt because our plan was to turn in that receipt at the end of the job and get reimbursed for what we spent on materials. So as we get going with the day, I'm taking a look at this paint stripper and reading the directions on the turpentine, and it says to pour it into a metal container. Well, I didn't have a metal container at the time, so I just went looking around for any kind of container, and the best thing that I could come up with was a red Solo cup. So I poured that turpentine right into the red Solo cup. Now, most of you should know turpentine is an acid. So I'm up on the, the first story roof of this guy's house, stripping paint on the second story, and I'm watching the clear turpentine in my cup start to turn red. And I was like, what kind of chemical reaction is that? And then just splat. Like that stuff disintegrated the bottom of my cup, fell out and landed on the roof and it's like disintegrating a hole in the shingle. So I'm trying to like wipe it up and I'm just smearing tar all over the roof. I'm pretty sure I burnt a hole in this guy's roof. So there went my one and only solo cup. And so we made a second trip to Tractor Supply to pick up a metal container. And of course, we kept the receipt so that we could be reimbursed at the end of the job. Well, as the day went on, we started working on a section of the house where there were hornets all over the place. Almost got stung a few times, and I was like, I really don't want to mess with that. So we made our third trip to Tractor Supply, picked up some hornet spray, 
And we pulled nine hours straight on that job. And at the end of the day, we're cleaning up our supplies, and we see that bin against the side of the house. We decided to take a peek inside. And I promise, this is a true story. I'm not making anything up. We open up this bin, and inside are brand new paintbrushes, a metal can, just like the one we had bought, and wasp spray. All of those things that we were running to tractor supply for had been there the entire time. And so the worst part is, now we can't turn in those receipts and ask for a reimbursement on those materials because they were right there, just like the homeowner said. And I wish the homeowner had been there that morning to be like, hang on, guys, wait, wait. Don't go to tractor supply for that stuff. Everything that you need is right here. But if Jesus had something like that to say to you, would you pay attention? This morning, we're going to be looking at some teachings from Jesus that I don't think any of us would want to miss. So if you would like to follow along in your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we'll be in verse 14. And this is what it says. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So we've jumped right into the middle of a passage here. So maybe you're wondering, who are these people? What's going on here? And why do they want to make Jesus king? Well, these people are in a crowd of more than 5,000 people. It said a few verses before that there were around 5,000 men, but that also doesn't take into calculation how many women and children might have been there. And if I was one of the disciples of Jesus taking attendance for this event, I probably wouldn't want to count everybody either. So if you include women and children, this is a crowd of more than 5,000 people. And when Jesus saw this crowd of people coming to him to hear him teach, he said to one of his disciples, he's like, Philip, where do you think we can get enough bread to feed all of these people? Now, Philip is a pretty smart guy, and he's like, well, according to my calculations, it would be half a year's wages just to buy enough bread for everybody in that crowd to take one bite. So they're in a little bit of a predicament here. All these people are coming out to hear Jesus talk, probably from like sun up till sundown, and they don't have any food. And meanwhile, one of the other disciples, Andrew, he's going around all over the place trying to find some food, and he comes across a boy who has two fish and five loaves of bread. So he's like, here, come here, come here. And he brings this boy to Jesus, and Jesus takes those two small fish, those five small loaves of bread, and he gives thanks for them. And then he begins breaking off piece after piece after piece. And these pieces of bread and fish that he was breaking off were being distributed to everybody in the crowd until every single person there had a full stomach. And they actually had so many leftovers that they filled 12 baskets full. They had more leftovers than Jesus had even started with. And this is why they wanted to make Jesus king. This is the miracle or the sign that they saw. They figured, man, if Jesus can do that with two fish and five loaves of bread, 
Jesus could feed people for days. I mean, talk about a chicken in every pot and a car in every driveway. Like, if we could make Jesus king, forget free health care. Jesus could remove the need for any health care. Imagine if Jesus was king. If he, if he made an army, man, he could be unstoppable. And so this is why they wanted to make Jesus king. But Jesus had a, a different agenda. He didn't want to be their king because he had some bigger plans in mind. And so he slipped away to get some alone time with God. And Jesus was away for so long that by the time evening came, the disciples didn't know where Jesus was. And so they just hopped into their boat and started sailing across the Sea of Galilee back to Capernaum. And here's a modern-day picture of uh, the Sea of Galilee that I took when I was in Israel. Fun fact about this sea is it's actually known for its sudden storms. It's surrounded by a bunch of hills, and when a, a cold breeze comes in from the east, that cold air pushes down on the warm air hovering above the water. So when the cold air pushes up the warm air, it starts mixing things up and turns into a storm really quick. Well, the disciples got caught up in one of these storms, and they were pretty scared for their lives. But maybe you know this story. Jesus actually came to them walking on the water, and then he got in their boat, and they made it safely to shore. But let's not forget about the crowd of people who wanted to make Jesus king. They woke up the next morning and they're like, hey, where did Jesus go? They watched the disciples get into the boat, but they hadn't seen where Jesus went. And so they got into their own boats and they tried to find Jesus. And this is where we pick up in the story in verse 20, uh, 25. Verse 25 of chapter 6. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So when they finally catch up to Jesus, they're like, Jesus, where you've been? And Jesus doesn't feel any need to apologize to them for leaving and not telling them where he went. Jesus isn't even impressed that they went all this way to find him. Instead, Jesus calls out their motives for coming to find him. Jesus says, you're not following after me because you saw the miracle and believed that I was the son of God. Instead, you're following me because your stomachs were full and you're just looking for some more handouts. And Jesus wanted to meet their physical needs, but he actually had something far better in store. And when Jesus tells them, to not work for the food that spoils. And Jesus isn't saying that canned food is the way to go, but he's saying that bread, these free handouts, their value is only temporary. I mean, you can eat bread and then just be, you could be full for a little bit and then be hungry again just a few hours later. Or you could stockpile as much bread as you could possibly eat, as much bread as you could ever want, and eventually 
it goes bad and it spoils. And I think the message that Jesus is trying to drive home for these people is the same message that we need for ourselves. Are you living for something that spoils? Or another way of phrasing that question might be, what are the things that you are looking to for fulfillment that should really be secondary in your life? Now let's just think about answering this question as if we're just sitting together in a small group. I think if that was the case, I would go first. I'd say something like, hey guys, I'm Adam. Sometimes I look to physical fitness for my fulfillment. I just think that I'll be fulfilled if I can reach that next level. I wish that I could run more miles. I wish that I could be faster. I wish that I could be stronger and lift more weight. I wish I could get on the same level as Brett Bixby and actually beat him in a wrestling match. And oftentimes, I'm making progress. But then there's other times when I'll hurt myself and get injured or, or maybe life gets busy and I can't put the time into the training that I want to. And it feels like I take 20 steps backwards. And then I try to work back to where I was before. And it just reminds me, Physical fitness, it comes and goes. Like, yeah, it definitely has its value, but it doesn't matter so much for eternal life. Or maybe it comes to you and you answer this question by saying, I really look to my job for fulfillment. You see, it's in my job that I have a sense of identity. Like, what I do, I can do well, and I feel appreciated for it. It's where I feel productive. And so I just keep putting in more and more hours into my job. Or maybe, maybe you think that fulfillment would come in the perfect relationship. Like if you're already married, maybe you have the dreams of what your marriage could be. And you think, oh, if only things would shape up a little bit. If only my spouse would get their act together, then there would be fulfillment. Or maybe you're not even married and you feel like you have this hole in your heart that could only be filled by a romantic relationship. And so that's what you're looking to for fulfillment. Or another one that gets me is what if this whole COVID mess could just go away? Like if we could be done with these mask mandates, if we could be done with quarantining, and if only the students wouldn't have to keep missing school for these COVID contacts and have to submit their homework online, if we could just be done with this whole mess, and if life could be, get back to normal, then I would have fulfillment. We could probably go on and on and on of, with just all the different things that we could look to for fulfillment. And it's not that there's anything wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be physically fit. There's nothing wrong with doing well in your job. And I'm sure we would all take a sigh of relief if this whole COVID mess just went away. But maybe we're looking to these things for fulfillment. And meanwhile, Jesus is saying, hang on, wait, wait, don't go looking for that over here. What you really need is right here. And so let's continue reading and hear from Jesus what he has to say about this. We'll read again from verse 27. Jesus says, Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. 
For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must, we, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You ever gone to a restaurant and you're not sure what to order? Not until the waitress kind of lists things off the menu or starts describing the special to you. And you hear about the special and you're like, oh, that sounds really good. I want that. I think that's kind of how the crowd was reacting here, where they hear about this bread of life and they're like, oh, that sounds really good. Always give us this bread. But they're missing the analogy that Jesus is making here. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. When the nation of Israel was wandering around in the wilderness, God fed them with manna or like bread from heaven. But even after eating that bread, these people died at the end of their lifetimes just like any other normal person. But Jesus is saying, anyone who comes to me, anyone who believes in me will never go hungry, will never go thirsty. The fulfillment that Jesus offers will never run out. It will never come to an end. Anything else in this life is really only second best at best. Our greatest need is satisfied in God. This is why I think that prosperity gospel is complete garbage. The prosperity gospel says, come to God to get stuff. See, God just wants to upgrade your house or give you a better car as if God is just a means to an end. But God is not the pathway to something better. God is the best. And John Piper says, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. I don't know about you, but I've been a believer in Jesus for a long time now. And sometimes I really take for granted the relationship that I have with God. And I need to get things back into perspective. And so if I think about it, if I only had a relationship with God and knew his love for just one day of my life, just one day, and then even if I spent the rest of my eternity in hell, God would still be giving me far more than I could ever deserve by just giving me that one day in a relationship with him. And if you're a believer in Jesus, there's not a day that goes by when you wake up in the morning and you're not loved by God. There's not a day that goes by that you are not forgiven and cared for by God. And it just blows my mind to think about how things will be in heaven 
When we're in the presence of God and we see him in all of his glory and we'll have no more sin in our hearts that gets in the way between us and loving God for who he is. That is the best. You see, heaven is not heaven if it wasn't for God being there. Heaven is literally the dwelling place of God and on the flip side of that, The absence of God's presence is literally hell. J.D. Greer is a pastor who says that, what if we achieved every political agenda we dreamed of? What if we achieved peace in our time? What if the American dream became a reality for everyone? What if there was peace and justice for all? What if we slow the rise of the oceans and heal the planet And then our generation dies and goes to hell. You see, there's a lot of really good causes that we could devote our lives to. But really, our greatest need, the greatest need of everyone else, is for God himself and to have a relationship with him. Anything else that we could pursue, anything else that we could even offer people, is only second best at its best. And so if you have never made a decision to come to Jesus and to believe on him for eternal life. Your greatest need is for a relationship with him. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time. Your greatest need is already satisfied in God. You have a relationship with him. But still, it seems like your heart is being steered in the direction of other things that you're looking to for fulfillment. Maybe... If that's the case, let's just walk through some questions to see if we're really living and resting in the satisfaction that God offers. You ever heard of the game, Would You Rather? This is a game I like to play around a campfire with a group of friends, and it's where you offer somebody two hypothetical options, and they have to choose one option over another. Usually it's something like, would you rather eat baked potato smoothies every morning for the rest of your life, or serving kids' ministry all by yourself every Sunday. you got to choose one of those options. Well, think of this as like a game of would you rather. Would you rather have the physical fitness of an Olympic athlete and the good looks of a model or have a relationship with God? Or here's another one. Would you rather... Be, reach the pinnacle of success in your job, have more money than Bill Gates, or have a relationship with God? Or would you rather have a relationship that surpasses anything you've ever seen on Hallmark, or have a relationship with God? Would you rather this whole pandemic mess to just go away, no more quarantining, no more masking, no more missing school, Or have a relationship with God. And if you choose a relationship with God, it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy all of these other things that God has given us. But what it really comes down to is the daily question, what are you looking to for fulfillment? What are you looking to for satisfaction? And some of us, even when we have our deepest need satisfied in God, we look to these other things for fulfillment. So what's the measure of if you're really being satisfied in God? 
Looking back at just this last week, if you spent as much time eating food as you did spending time with God, reading from the Bible and talking to him in prayer, would you be feasting or would you be starving? Back when I was in high school, I started getting into uh, working out and lifting with a group of my friends. Same group of friends that I would run with and are in like 80% of my stories. And these guys had a really big impact on my life. And they would help me stay accountable to my fitness goals. They would ask me sometimes, like, hey, did you work out this week? And there would be times when I would say, nope, I was too busy or I didn't have enough time. And that answer didn't fly with them. And so they, they taught me to realize that there are 24 hours in a day. Everybody has the same amount of time. But really, how you use your time is based on your priorities. And so if I didn't make it to the gym, it's not because I didn't have enough time in the day. It's because I didn't make it a priority. And so they taught me to say, nope, I didn't make it to the gym because I didn't make it a priority. And I've tried to take that mindset and apply it to my walk with God. If there's a day when I don't read my Bible or if I don't talk to God in prayer, it's not because I'm too busy or don't have enough time. And believe me, there are times when I'm busy. There are days when it seems like time is flying by. But if I don't spend time reading the Bible, if I don't talk to God in prayer, it's really because I didn't make it a priority. It's because I gave my attention to all these other things in my life. So where are you at? Are you finding your satisfaction in God and the relationship that you have with him? Or does the way that you spend your time show that you're looking to other things in life for that kind of fulfillment? My challenge for you this morning is to take one of these 30-day reading plans from our Welcome Center to spend some more time in God's Word. So it's got 30 days of Bible verses that you could be reading throughout the week. And we're only three days into the month, so you have the better part of the month to jump in on this. And if you are not in the practice now of reading your Bible at all during the week, then you don't have to start doing seven days a week, every day of the week for the whole entire month. My challenge for you is to just pick two days, two days in the week to commit to reading the Bible and praying because you don't have to go from zero to a hundred overnight. But I believe that each of us has some next step in growing in our relationship with God. Or maybe you're not a Christian at all and your deepest need has not yet been satisfied in God. If you want to make the decision to follow Jesus, then I just want to encourage you to take one of these cards on your chair to just fill out your name and a source of contact and then just check on the back that you are interested in salvation and take this card to our Welcome Center and we'll have somebody follow up with you. Wherever you're at, there is nothing better than living all in for God and coming to Jesus as the bread of life. These verses that we read this morning are not the only instances where Jesus has made an analogy between his body and bread. Jesus went on to make a similar analogy in Matthew chapter 26. And 
his last supper with his disciples before he went to the cross. Jesus took a loaf of bread and then he broke it. And that was a picture of his body being broken and even killed on the cross. And Jesus is the bread of life because he died. Because he took our place on the cross and paid the price for our sin that we deserve to pay. As you came in this morning, you probably saw one of these cups on your chair. And if you'd like to participate in communion this morning, you can go ahead and peel off the very top layer of this cup to get to the wafer. And we'll take it together in just a moment. And eating this wafer is it's nothing that saves you. There's nothing magical about this little piece of bread. But it's just a symbol to be a reminder of the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God. And Jesus, when he had given out the bread to his disciples, said, Take it and eat. This is my body. Let's eat it together. can open up the rest of the packet to get to the grape juice as I continue reading. Then Jesus took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I want to focus a little bit on those last few verses. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to drink any more wine until you are in my presence with me in heaven. And we can also look forward to being in the presence of God in heaven because of the shedding of Jesus' blood so that we can have forgiveness from God. And so as we drink this grape juice, let's remember the spilling of Jesus' blood so that we could spend all of eternity with him and always be satisfied in that relationship. Let's take it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you have satisfied our deepest need and I'm so thankful that we can come to you. You are what we need the most. You've given us so many things in life to enjoy, and I thank you for them, but I ask that the gifts that you have given us would not distract us from who you are and finding our satisfaction in you. I'm so thankful that we don't have to earn this relationship with you, that Jesus just says, believe in me and come to me, that your arms are wide open and we can come to you for fulfillment that never runs out. God, we are prone to wander after things that really don't pay off, things that come to an end. But God, I'm so thankful for our relationship with you that it never comes to an end. There's never a day when we're not loved by you. There's never a day when we're not forgiven by the blood of Jesus and we're never not on your mind. And God, I can't even imagine what it'll be like in heaven to 
be with you in your glory and to experience that for all of eternity. It is such a privilege, and I ask that we would never lose sight of that, and I ask that we would take the steps today in just resting in the satisfaction that you've already given us who are following after you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.